The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode nine, Don't Stop Believing. Because it's a journey. Get it? Journey. <laughs> journey sings Don't Stop Believing. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. All right. On this episode, we're going to help out the parents who are struggling with a very important aspect of their child's anxiety. Specifically, what you can do and how to handle when you feel that everyone else has given up on your child. If you have a child with anxiety, there's a good chance you felt like this at some point. You betcha. Well, before we get to our episode, though, we invite you to rate us and review the Scrambled podcast. Listener Swinky Girl was actually our very first review, and I'd like to read what she says. It's titled, Can't Wait to Hear More. She says, thank you for being open and honest about your own backgrounds and reasons for creating this new podcast series. It was very informative and can't wait to follow along for more helpful information on mental health issues for our children. Something tells me there might be useful info for adults now and then too. Keep up the good work, Chad and Nikki. And Swinky Girl, we thank you again. She was our very first uh, review after our first couple of episodes, and now we're in uh, nine plus a couple bonus episodes in. So hopefully we've lived up to uh, what she wants. Yes, because ratings and reviews really help us spread the word about the podcast. It's it's really how we can get more and more people listening. It only takes a minute or two, and we appreciate all that you've submitted so far. So please keep that up. We, we appreciate it so much. And Nikki, Swinky Girl's review really hits the nail on the head by saying being open and honest. Our last episode put a family in the spotlight that was very open and honest about how they live with anxiety. If you missed it, check it out. It is episode eight. It's titled The Family Matters. Well, speaking of open and honest, this episode is another one where we're going to get open and honest. We have another guest who is in the beginning stages of a diagnosis with a child with anxiety. Please welcome Erin, who is just entering the journey with her six-year-old son. Hello, Erin. Hello. Tell us where you are right now with your journey into anxiety with your son. We always noticed um, there were different things that kind of set him off, for lack of a better word. So if we had to go somewhere, if, if we had to get dressed outside of pajamas, um, if we, you know, change things up a little bit, he would always, when he was little, just throw, you know, throw a fit, which you would think, okay, toddler tantrum, that type of thing. And then when he got older, as he started being more social and getting more into a structured environment with school, um, we would notice that that kind of manifested into other, other things outside of what, what we saw. So he was, he's, was fairly successful in, in daycare. He went to an in-home daycare for most of his young life before he entered preschool life. And our first preschool experience started out amazing. They loved him, thought he was, you know, smart, funny, you know, liked being around his friends. And then we noticed changes when holidays started coming along, the schedule changed a little bit more. They were doing, um, getting ready for like a holiday show. They were doing parties They were doing special crafts, things that were not in their normal schedule. And so we started getting calls saying, you know, he he tipped over some trash cans today and got really upset. Or he pushed over some chairs and got really upset. Or he doesn't want to come to circle time, things like that. I'm like, okay, that's 
we'll, we'll talk to him about it and we'll, we'll try again tomorrow. And then it just started being more and more consistent. And so in speaking to my husband, we're like, something's, something's going, going on, you know, more than just, he's just a little nervous about school. Cause he always walked in super happy. It was not like I was dragging him in to school or he was crying. He wanted to be there. There was something that was happening there that was triggering him. So that's when we started to kind of look into it a little bit more to understand, is this more than just being four or, you know, things changing? Is there something that's bothering him about that change um, that we might need to seek some support on? About how long did the struggle go on before you said, I think there might be more to this? How, you know, was it weeks, months before you said, hmm, we, we should dig further? It was probably as soon as we started seeing the consistency I would say we started reaching out for some support. So I'm a very, I see a problem. I'm like, let's, let's find the solution. Let's get it done and, and, and get something, something going. So, and, and just knowing his background and his history of getting upset about just minor things and things of that nature, I thought this, this could be something more. So we are the type of parents that we don't know everything. I'm more than happy to hear what the teacher has to say for advice or what others have to offer for advice. That is helpful to me. I don't take it as a negative unless it's delivered negatively, but um, I will take all the advice I can get. And so seeking out that support was, in my thought, just going to give us some advice and and how to manage this better. With that, um, we were on kind of on the cusp of of COVID. As we got things rolling, things kind of came to a halt because because of that and not being able to kind of do the further testing and things of that nature. But as we were getting that ball rolling and waiting for a response back, the school got to the point that they were like, we can't help this kid anymore. I'm like, what does that mean? Are you kicking him out of, is he being kicked out of preschool? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is in essence what it was. Um, wow. So where they were asking him, him to leave. Uh, how did you and your husband feel about that? It didn't feel great. Um, oh, you know, it had gotten to the point where when we dropped him off to school, we didn't even come home. Like we would, the library was right by his school. So we would just work at the library or um, we just expected a call or for them to say something was happening, which as a parent is, is the, is the worst. It's I work from home and just trying to even concentrate on work. I was always worried about what was he doing? And then after what he was going to do, what what were they going to say to me? And um, how were they going to treat me? Because there were times when I would walk in and it was clear that um, my son was just not in a good state of mind. Like you were not going to rationalize with him. No matter what happened, you were not, we were not going to make any headway in that moment. And they were like, well, we're not letting him leave until we, you know, he picks up the trash cans or, and so for me as a parent, I got to be like, wait a second. I don't think so. Um, you know, he is good. clearly not in a good place. And so we are going to leave and I will happily talk to you about what happened today, but we're not going to do that right now. I-, I could tell based on their reactions that they were not very understanding of those kids that you know, didn't kind of fit a certain expectation mm-hmm. of theirs, whether it was anxiety or whatever the case may be. So my initial reaction was to cry because <laughs> I'm like, did, did my um, did my four year old just get it kicked out of preschool? I mean, does that really happen? Um, so, yeah, it didn't it didn't feel great. I guess the whole point of the episode is when you start to feel like everyone's given up on you at this point. 
are we too early in the journey to go? This school has given up on my child or is this just kind of the the first step? It was so much of a mixed emotions at that point. I didn't know you could get kicked out of preschool. And I knew my son well enough to know that his intent was never malicious or he wasn't doing anything because he wanted to hurt somebody or he wanted to be disruptive or that he wanted to, you know, he always, when I picked him up, he would say, you don't love me anymore. Right, mom. Or I, you know, I wanted it to be a great day, but it wasn't a great day. And so he was very aware that his behavior was not acceptable, but he was also was very obvious that his behavior wasn't what he wanted to do. It was like he couldn't think in that moment. And he just did what was a split second decision, which was not the right decision. But it it was hard in that moment to feel like an educator, you know, someone that's supposed to help my kid grow, not only academically, but socially, emotionally, to prepare them for a larger school setting, had just said, there's nothing we can do with this kid. Yeah, we give up. Yeah. Wow. You bring up something that really makes me think of of this, and that is that if a child is struggling, so whether that struggle is behavioral in the classroom, whether it's you know academically they're not keeping up, whatever the issue is, if there's if there's a problem at school, there is a reason underlying it. It is not just a child trying to be difficult. It is not just you know this is this is the way this kid is. There is a reason for it, and I do think we're as a I don't, I don't want to get anthropological, but I think as a society, I think we're getting better at going, oh, let's see what's underneath this. Let's figure out what might be causing this behavior. And I think in education, though, it's it can be very challenging to figure out the underlying factors because there's so much going on in a classroom. There's right. so much that an educator is trying to keep track of in that situation that it can be quick to go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. I, I don't know what's wrong. And that's where I think it, it pulls parents to have to to be even stronger advocates than we might even want to be for our children. I mean, just like the the example you gave of saying, you know, we're going to talk about this, but we're not going to do it now. And realizing the state of mind that your child was in and what he needed in order to be safe and okay. And, and challenging that teacher and saying, no, not right now. We're not going to do that. We don't, we don't necessarily envision ourselves having to do that as parents. And yet I think it's one of the most important things we can do is advocate for and, and stand up to those that might not be looking at it in the way that we are or the way that we should. And kudos to you, Aaron, for sticking up for your child that way and, and saying like, we're not going to clean up. I, I, cause I think I probably in that moment would have been like, okay, let's clean up and, and made him do it. But I think you definitely did the right thing. So moving on, you said that happened around COVID. So let's get through COVID. And then um, you mentioned hadn't couldn't get him tested. So you got him tested, got a diagnosis for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell us what else happens when you, when you try to reach out for some therapy. You know, and kind of going through the testing journey, we were aware that he had some challenges with, with speech. Um, and he also had some challenges with occupational therapy. So being that he wasn't quite school age or kindergarten age, you have to go kind of a different route. Even though you do your testing through um, the school, he was able to get speech therapy through our local elementary school that um, he now goes to. So he started speech therapy services 
Um, he was well below average in everything occupational therapy wise, but they didn't qualify him for that. So, you know, of course, we still, still wanted to seek out support for that because we didn't want that to be a point of frustration for him, especially if he was feeling anxiety, you know, having one more thing that's not going your way is not going to set you up for success. So we sought out outside um, support for, for OT and then just to complement the speech he was receiving, decided to go and do speech therapy at the same facility that he was at. And that started out fine. Um, they were actually addressing some of that emotional regulation, some of those behaviors that we were seeing and, you know, how do we handle those in real life situations? And I didn't realize that OT did that kind of stuff. So I'm like, this is amazing. So we're, we're working on those fine motor things, but he's also learning, you know, the emotional side of things. When we were about, I would say six months into that journey, he started to have bigger behaviors. It was when they were trying to have him write a little bit longer um, he would say that doesn't look right, or that's, you know, that's not perfect, um, which is very important to him. It's, if, if things are not going the way that they expect, he expects them to go, it, it gets him really nervous and, and upset. And so his reaction was to dump a bin of toys on the ground or um, to do something like that. We started cutting the therapy sessions um, a little bit shorter because they felt like he wasn't in the right mindset. They did about uh, half the session for a few weeks and that went really well. And they wanted to go back up to an hour. As soon as they went back up to an hour, didn't go well (laughs) again. And then when that happened, I actually got a text from them that said, you know, we feel like he needs more support from a mental health perspective than what we can do. So we're going to have to stop seeing him here. So he gets kicked out of OT. Yes. Yeah. And he didn't have any issues with speech therapy. So I I, I didn't know if he could continue speech therapy with the same facility. It was just OT that we, he was having issues with. The moment that I thought that, I got a text from the speech therapist that said, oh. you know, we also are not going to discontinue services for him. We don't feel like um, spending time with speech is in his best interest when he has concerns from a mental health perspective. Were they using terms like mental health perspective or did they use like behavior issues or... They, they felt like he needed more support with mental health and that okay. his behaviors were too big for them to manage. All right. So Nikki, what do you, are you surprised to hear this stuff or is this fairly common that kiddos will get quote unquote kicked out of different types of therapies until they find the right place? I do see this quite a bit. And and that's and that actually is related to the question I was just sort of formulating in my head for Aaron is that did that... Because I think to the OT and the speech therapist, I I can't speak for them, but my guess is they thought, okay, cool. Well, we're not going to be able to provide this, but we're going to refer him on to the next level of care, which will help him. But unfortunately, I think how that's viewed by parents is yet another rejection, right? Uh Yet another thing that's saying, nope, can't do it, you know. You're, you're failing out of this, right? Um, but I think for those those therapists in those realms, they're going, oh, well, here's another level of help that, you know, might make a difference for your kiddo. Um, but we do, we, we see that quite a bit. Um, I've worked in facilities that have all of those service levels together. And um, sometimes kids kind of have to bounce from one to the other until each thing is, is wrong. And, and again, this links right back to what I was talking about before. There's always an underlying reason. And, and sometimes that underlying reason is a phys- physiological thing. Sometimes it's psychological, sometimes it's developmental, sometimes it's a skills deficit. And the combination of speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and mental health therapy can be a really great combination. But knowing 
which thing to do in what order and for how long and in conjunction with what else, it can be really, really hard. And I think for each kid, you know, there's no magic formula. It's bouncing around. And so I'm curious, like what happened next when they said, no, we're not going to do these two levels of service. We can't do these right now. What did you do? Well, they didn't really offer, you know, my thought was, okay, they can't support him, but here's this place, this place, and this place that can. And they didn't offer that. So I think as a parent, I thought I was doing what was best, which was seeking out the support to help him in areas that I thought would add to his anxiety, um, particularly in getting ready to move into a kindergarten setting. And for us, it felt like we had hit a huge brick wall. Like I was seeking out your support to help him with this. And now you're telling me as a professional that you can't even help him. It, It felt like we hit a wall and that I, I didn't really know where to go. It felt, um, I was sad. <laughs> I felt like I really wanted to help him and I just really didn't know where to go at that point. Nikki, what advice do you have for parents going through this? Because Erin alluded earlier that she thought, okay, we've got this diagnosis of anxiety. We'll get him treated. We'll get him fixed. And then speed bump, speed bump, roadblock, bam, brick wall. She and her husband are feeling very defeated. You say it's actually fairly common for this to do. So what are some words of advice for those parents to to kind of keep their chin up and keep going? So, I mean, this is, feel free to roll your eyes at what I'm about to say. But I mean, step number one is don't ever give up. Don't ever say, well, we've reached the end of the road in terms of options for our child because you haven't. Just because the the facility that you're in or the community that you're in doesn't have the thing that you need or isn't in that moment identifying the thing that you need and pointing you to it doesn't mean it's not there. And so just keep asking for help. If you find any one person along the way that seems like a little bit helpful, latch on to them, right? <laughs> Follow them around and ask them for help until they're able to guide you in the right direction or get you, pass you off to that next person who truly knows. I I like when the conversation, you know, if, if somebody, a professional is working with a child and they reach that sort of breaking point where they have to pause and do something else and focus on something else. I wish that that conversation could always be, you know, supportive and encouraging and you know, filled with options so that you walk away going, okay, you know, a little bit of a pivot, but we got this. Unfortunately, I I think for whatever reason, oftentimes it is so devastating. You know, it's yet again, another, another system where you feel like, ah, they gave up on my kid. Now, what do I do? And so advice uh, to reiterate is, you know, don't give up, find somebody who's been just a little bit helpful and just, just stick with them until you get what you need keep researching, keep asking questions. Um, you know, I've always said this in other episodes, go to your primary care physician, ask them what they know, ask them who they know, ask them who's good. If you don't have a primary care physician, get one. But if you have one and they haven't been helpful yet, call the local mental health providers, um, call, you know, family, friends, anybody that you, you know, trust their judgment, reach out until you find it. It's, it's amazing to me when a family finds the right service level and the right person, how quickly things can turn around and how it can go from, oh my gosh, I thought we were doomed to, wow, you know, look at all of the possibility that is here. Um, And it's just, it's, it's really just, it's a second, it's a click, you know, and so don't give up until you find that because that's there for all kids. So Erin has a click chat. Yeah. I mean, I think we um, we're in kindergarten now and kindergarten started pretty rough for us. I, tried to be proactive and reach out. And um, once I found out who his, his teacher was and say, you know, 
we're going to probably have to meet sooner than later um, because I know him well enough to know he's a great kid, but this is a big, big change for him. And it can go multiple ways. Um, and the few ways it could go may not be received very well. So let's let's plan and see what we can do to support you and support him, support his classmates. So they, they heard that, but I don't think they realized maybe how serious I was until he started kind of getting a little bit more comfortable in the school setting. I say comfortable in that I always say that he walks into new situations a bit shell-shocked. So he's not going to show his true self on day one. But then, you know, once we're a week or so into it, um, and they happen to have a schedule change, or that he happens to have to write a sentence, and it doesn't quite look the way he thought it was going to look, or playing a game and a kid is trying to play it one way, and he knows that's not the way you play that game, you know, he's going to have a reaction. And, and that's what we saw initially. We were starting to get the calls from school. It started to be, you know, a couple hours early. Then it started to be midday. And then it started to be 45 minutes to an hour after school started. And we were like, we, we can't do this. We, we have to find a solution. He can't not go to school. He's too smart. I know he wants to be there. We, we can't do this. Initially, we heard a lot of you know, well, we're trying to let the other kids acclimate to kindergarten. We want them to acclimate to kindergarten and want them to make this transition and have this go well. And I, you know, talking about growing and being an advocate for your kids, where I would say a few years ago it would have been like, oh, yeah, those poor kids. I do worry about the other kids. And I, it's not that I don't. It's just like, but what about my kid? <laughs> right. Let's acclimate him to it, too. Right. So what are you you're doing all of this to help them? But what are you doing to help mine? And I think that's when I started to get their ears and to say, like, you know, you're right. And it was fairly immediate thereafter that the principal pulled us into a, a quick meeting. He already had um, an IEP in place because of his speech and they, they already had the anxiety diagnosis. And they were like, you're right. We can put some things in place for him um, to make him more successful. And we do need to think about about him. Good. Do you feel satisfied with that or is there still some improvements to be made? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no perfect solution. I think if, if I've learned anything with anxiety, what works one week is could go just completely wrong the following week. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, we're lucky that he has a resource teacher that has a background in this and, you know, uses various techniques and tools that, that really support him. And it, it, it's it goes well for periods of times. And then we'll have a little bit of a, of a hiccup. Those hiccups don't feel as daunting anymore, I will say, as a parent. You know, it's still not easy. I had a hard time initially, you know, kind of walking into the school because they would say, you know, we need you to help at the beginning because we can't get him de-escalated or we can't get him to calm down. And I'd walk in and he had thrown papers on the floor and tipped down chairs. I'm like, who, who is this kid? You know, and, and you know, you feel like you're like, I promise you, this is not my kid. He doesn't act this way. And you, so you feel like you're defending your parenting. Like you said, Nikki, then you kind of find those people that, that get it. And I did latch on to them. And I think I probably went to them and started crying and was like, thank you for getting it. I, you know, I promise we're really good parents. We have sought out resources, you know, we've, we've spent money, we've done everything to try to help support him, but I can't be with him all the time. So we need people that are around him that are educating him and supporting him to, to be on his side as well and recognize what we recognize in him. 
and that's a huge thing because I can speak with uh, from our our perspective with my son. It's like I felt like some of the teachers understood it, some of them got it, and a couple of them have got it. And when you mm-hmm. get those teachers, you're just like just like you said, Aaron. Like thank you so much, and you you'll never know how important you mm-hmm. have been in our life and our kids' life. So, absolutely. And as long as you don't bribe them to come to the next grade level with you, you're doing okay. We did that at work. <laughs> I've t- totally done that. Totally done that. <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't seem to go to the next grade though. We're working mm-hmm. on it. It's a work in progress. Something that I talk with parents about uh, you know, on this topic is that it, the simple truth is school teachers and um, educators, administrators, they have a luxury that parents do not. And and first, let me say that I think teaching is one of the hardest jobs and I don't think I could do it. And so this is in no Agreed. way a negative thing about teaching or the education system, but they don't, they, they have the luxury that they can give up. They can say, this kid can't be in this classroom anymore. They can say, we don't feel we can meet this child's need. They have the ability to do that. Parents do not. And that's, that's such a tough spot to be in because I do see how hard some schools try to, to really make sure kids' needs are met and, and to, to kind of get there and just try to help them to be successful. But they still have an out, right? We don't. But the parent does mm-hmm. um, because we dealt with this exact thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, given up, we can't do anything here. We found someplace else for my son to go. So, you know, there's only so many schools in a, in a community or whatever. Um, but like you said earlier, Nikki, you got to keep looking and, and finding the right place and the right people that will make your child a success. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's on us as parents to make sure that happens. Um, and I, they can say, well, we can't do this anymore, but we have to keep going. We, we truly yes. just, we have to keep going until we find it. A resource I was thinking about, and and this is tough because I know we have this in our community, but I don't know, Erin, if there's something like this in your community or in in other places, but I believe the title is like Education Liaison. It's it's a person who works um, sort of not at the schools and and, and not at the parents, but they kind of, they can go to IEP meetings and they can help help the parents advocate with the schools, towards the schools um, to to get, you know, proper things in place for kids to be helpful. Do you, did you find anything like that along your journey? We do have, we, we call them advocates, okay. Okay. <laughs> which is what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not seek that out for, for our purpose. I had kind of reached out to a few just to kind of get their insight. And I think one thing, sometimes you don't want to share your journey with other people um, it goes along the along the lines of what I was saying earlier that you know people may think that you're you're not a good parent you're not doing things right um, but I have found in opening up about it that more people experience it than you think and it also has allowed me to connect with more people and I would not know of all the resources that I do now had I not been open about that and sought that out so we were, were lucky in that the accommodations and the support that we received from those at the school, once we kind of got over that initial bump, were really there to support him and have really been beneficial to him. But I know that's not the case for everybody. <laughs> She's singing our theme song. Tell your story, right? <laughs> share, exactly. share your story. because And that's the thing is that in, until you're talking about it, you don't really know who else might be struggling or what other options there might be. Because if everything's fine, you don't see those things and you don't have mm-hmm. to. So um, that's such a good point. And, you know, talking about it makes a huge difference. So, Aaron, let's talk a little bit more about school, you mentioned that you know the calls started coming earlier in the day and everything. What is it like for you and your husband to go into that building? And I also want to mention that you have a daughter who's older. So this isn't mm-hmm. your firstborn. This is your, your secondborn. So 
you know some of these folks because the the kids go to the same school and your daughter's been there for a couple of years. What's it mm-hmm. like? What does it feel like when you walk in those doors? Yeah. So yeah, I, that that was new for me because my daughter does not have those challenges. Um, she you know she wins the kindness awards and the you know great friend awards and um, you know she doesn't know a stranger, so they know you know that side of our family. And so walking in and even seeing, you know, some of those, those parents that I've interacted with, like with the PTO or, you know, some of the teachers um, that I, I know of, but, you know, never had to really interact with because it didn't present itself as a challenge for my, my daughter. You do feel the eyes are, are on you. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what school and that's what sports and other things that we, we try to expose our son to those things because mm-hmm. he wants to try them. It, it does, doesn't always work out, but we don't want to, you know, not expose him to not show him that he's capable of doing certain things too. So we have really learned to have to really my husband's better at this than I am because I'm always just, you know, very aware of what people think. If there's a lesson in that for in this for me, it's that they're not the ones that I'm trying to um, impress or, you know, that I, you know, I'm looking for a positive opinion of myself. I'm there to help my son. Um, but that's not to say that um, there have been certain things that I would typically volunteer at that I haven't volunteered at. Mm. You know, when you go through the car line, um, there's a couple staff members that are normally typically really friendly with me. Now I feel like they're not really making eye contact with me. I've walked away and drove driven away plenty of times crying, calling my husband. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I, it's, it's, it's not a fun feeling. You know, I don't know what yeah. else to say. I mean, it, and I think it's because you try as a parent so hard. Um, I give my all and, you know, some days I'm emotionally, mentally, physically spent from trying to support both of my kids, but, you know, him in a different way because of his anxiety and to have somebody not give you, you know, eye contact or, or make a fleeting comment. It's, 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 it's harder than people think because they have no idea what you're doing behind the scenes. And you just want to say, I'm trying so hard. You have no idea I'm doing this, 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 and this. So that, that, that can be hard to, to just have to really put that aside and focus on what I'm there for. Do you get positive reports from the school? Yeah, and that's what I think um, we've been, we've actually been fairly lucky outside of the first preschool experience um, (laughs) from a teacher perspective. They may not always understand diagnosis or a situation or how best to manage it, um, but they always seek out those that do, or they reach out to us and say, you know, what are some things that he really likes? And they really want to collaborate with us. And one thing I'm finding too, is they're really thankful for our collaboration. Mm. Whereas before I would have probably thought, you know, you, I don't want to interrupt in your job. I know you, I don't want you to feel like I don't think you know what you're doing, you know, or anything like that. But I have found that that collaboration is key. And one thing I've really appreciated from his general education teacher is there are some days that are really rough and I'm, I'm sure she goes home and, um, wants to kind of veg in the couch and just forget about the day as I do some days, but she will always come to me and say, yeah, you know, this happened, this happened, you know, I, I think the trigger was this or that, you know, we can talk about it, but you know, he was so polite to his friend or he helped me by doing this. And he just lit up when he was able to um, help the class with, you know, shutting the lights off or picking the the show for that day. 
And I think it's important to recognize for a parent how important that positivity is to hear when you feel like you're beat down every day, but also to recognize, you know, just because the kid doesn't always make the best choices because of their anxiety and knowing that they don't want to do that, giving them still the opportunity to, to shine, if you will, to he's not one that's going to want to be center stage, but he'll be, he'll gladly shut the lights off for a show for you. He would love to do that. He would think he's the, he's big time. So um, for her to recognize what can make him shine um, is so appreciated. So Aaron, that, that makes me think of uh, something that I talk with families about. And, and that is a lot of times our job as advocates for our children is it's, it's not just finding the right fit or, or figuring out what accommodations they need, but it's also training other people on the most successful ways to interact with our child, ways to bring out the positive, because we have spent a lot more time with them, right? And and we typically know what makes them tick and what ticks them off. And so um, if we, you know, can can spend some time and in, in a little bit of energy with each teacher, with each adult that they're working with to kind of help them understand what they need or, or how, you know, they might pull that really good behavior or how to respond when they're having a hard time. Um, that's, that's super helpful. What things have you taught the other adults in his life um, to help him be more successful? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just kind of sharing his likes and dislikes and he'll say certain things like, I, can you send this picture to my teacher, which shows me that he's really building that relationship, that he wants to show that side of him versus just hiding in the corner, if you will, and, um, or kind of shying away from that interaction. But I think, you know, he loves Pokemon. So that's been a real big driver. He has, you know, Pokemon tokens that he loves to earn. He loves playing games. So one motivator for him, if he's needing it that day is, you know, we'll, we'll get these tasks completed. And then, you know, you get to play Candyland and he lights up. He loves it. Sometimes he'll, he'll tell you he just wants chill time. <laughs> so they have a couch that he can just chill. Um, and that, so it's, it's really getting to understand, um, you know, he likes to color and those types of things, whereas my daughter has never liked to color. So it's really understanding, you know, I wouldn't want him to be forced to, to color if that was something that he really didn't like. That would certainly not help to de-escalate a situation. Mm-hmm. But um, there are things that just really bring him out of his shell that they've been open to, to hear and they've incorporated into his support and his accommodations. And I, I think related to that too, sometimes it's about educating family members on what it means to have a particular diagnosis or what anxiety is or what it looks like. And I know Chad and I have talked about that in previous episodes that anxiety looks different from kid to kid and it isn't always what you would expect. And so, you know, for one kid, it might be, you know, hiding and, and keeping your head down and being shy. And for another kid, it might be tipping over a trash can, like you mentioned earlier. And so it's it's really, really tricky. And I think when you can educate you know, family members, extended, you know, family members and friends and teachers and others on, on what to expect, um, what it means for your child to have this diagnosis, what they need from, from that person. You know, I just, I think it can be a lot smoother, but it does mean sharing your story and having some difficult conversations and, and being willing to be vulnerable about it and um, kind of setting aside that worry about judgment, you know, that, that you've mentioned people are going to judge, but we still want this kid to be successful. So um, I think that's important too. And I think a good, you know, add on to that is, you know, it allows them to be able to know him well enough to recognize the triggers. Mm -hmm. Um, So they know him, you know, well enough now to know that when he does, you know, kind of goes down with his face or maybe he growls, you know, or something like that, or starts to retreat that, you know, he's, he's kind of at the cusp that something might escalate or something's really bothering him at that moment. So 
allows them to, you know, give them a break or recognize what's happening in that situation so they can be mindful of that next time. So it allows them to get to know the child a little bit more and so hopefully stop the escalation and be able to help support him better so he doesn't have to go through the emotional, mental exhaustion that comes with having anxiety at school. Absolutely. Well, I have one last thought, and and, and that is, I think, when we're working with children and, you know, whether, whether or not those children have um, a mental health diagnosis or not, we have to remember that they are still children, that their brains are not fully developed, that part of their, their body is going to keep growing and developing until they're at least 25, right? So that's a lot of years of growth and connections and skill building and development that still have to take place. And so when it feels like everyone else has given up on your child and you're the only advocate in their corner, you know, you got to remember that some of this stuff is just going to get better because they're going to grow more. They're going to develop more. Um, some of those things are just going to you know, happen organically because that's what growth and development looks like. And so, you know, I've had to remind, um, you know, people lots and lots of times, hey, this isn't the end of the line. You know, even if you do nothing different, some of this stuff is going to get better simply because they're going to grow up, right? Now, is it better to have resources and supports and, and you know, therapies and that kind of thing in place to, to make that journey a little easier? Yes, of course, I would think that. But um, also, it's, it's important to realize that it's ridiculous to give up or to allow others to let you give up on your own child because you, you, you still have so many more years of, of development there. Erin, we cannot thank you enough for being so open and candid about your family situation. It no doubt will ring true with several of our listeners. No doubt. If you know someone who could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. We are on all kinds of podcast platforms. We have a website, scrambledpodcast.com. If you have questions, you can email us at thescrambledpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page where you can interact directly with us. On our next episode, we're going to turn our focus back to the kiddos and talk about why you shouldn't believe everything you think. Hmm. All right. Well, our goal, of course, is to start a conversation and normalize and educate people about childhood anxiety. And that conversation starts with you. 